I'm Chris Ronzio. Welcome to Organize Chaos. Welcome to Organize Chaos. Take a page out of other business leaders' playbooks and get candid advice from Chris Ronzio. People, processes, productivity, and how to organize your life around it all. This episode dives into tweaking your revenue systems by adding memberships to your services or products, how and why a brand would open up a satellite office, and adapting processes at different sizes of your business. Okay, so Cameron, COO Alliance, at least version 1.0 is a membership model. I assume it's still some form of buy-in for the year or buy-in by month, right? It is, yeah. It's 7,500 a year and they get the entire membership for the year. Got it. Okay, so a lot of businesses that are listening, they, they could be product, they could be service, but there could be a membership component to their business that they haven't yet explored. Um, in the, the businesses that you consult in your group, have you seen any of them add membership revenue to part of the mix? Um, I'm a part of an amazing community called Trends right now on Facebook that's a membership community that's done quite well. One thing that I've noticed on some membership stuff is is instead of charging the monthly fee, they'll have a yearly fee but collect 50% of that up front. So they kind of front load the membership and then the monthly amount is much lower. And it kind of, it it, it almost gets you to be fully pot committed for the period. Um, But that's all I'd have to add on that one. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, operations in many ways is about figuring out how to get creative and make it work, right? And so whether it's front-loading cash or making guarantees, there's a, the, it's a lot of baked in to how we execute this. Well, um, it's how you remove the friction for the buyer as well. I was in Park City this summer and I was standing at the top of the Olympic jump and looking straight down. I'm like, it's so efficient to go from the top of the hill to the bottom. And then I went over and went on the Olympic bobsled run and I was getting bashed in every corner. And you're still going from the top to the bottom, but at every turn it hurt. And I was thinking about our businesses and why do we create so much friction for people to join? And that's kind of where that 10x guarantee just really stood out as well, right? I like it. Okay, so Cameron, I know you mentioned being uh, up in Vancouver. I don't know if you're in Vancouver or Arizona right now. Uh, Josh? I'm in Arizona today. Okay, so you're here today. Um, Josh, you are responsible for opening Grammarly's Vancouver office, right? How do you as 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 a brand decide to open a satellite office and what would be the reasons why someone may, may have multiple locations? Is it, is it efficiency of the workforce, the labor there? Is it dividing departments of the business? What, what was the story behind that? Yeah, yeah, great question. So for us, the two main reasons why we wanted to open the office in Vancouver is one, access to great talent. Um, Vancouver is a pretty undervalued talent market in the tech space. Um, it's something that we're very familiar with. I grew up in Canada, uh, lived here my whole life, just moved down to San Francisco to work for Grammarly back in 2017. So I was pretty familiar with it myself. We also had two of our co-founders that were living there. Um, so Alex Chanko and Max Litvin. Um, so they're already there and they're commuting back and forth. Um, and so they knew the market as well. And once we saw the talent that was there um, and we decided that it was somewhere to move, it also just made sense from efficiency and convenience perspective. The same time zone as San Francisco, um, it's a short flight. It's two hours each way. You can really do a day trip if you need. So it makes it really easy for you to open another office and not have it be a quote unquote, like satellite office, like you hear where it's just opened up because you have a particularly small opportunity. It actually allows us to basically have an integrated team in two places between San Francisco and Vancouver, where there's a ton of overlap between the teams. Um, and it allows us to really grow the team here and not have to worry about culture, not 
translating over folks kind of not being able yeah. to work together. Obviously it's different now with COVID and everybody being remote, we're all in the same boat, but initially it made it really simple to onboard folks have them go down to San Francisco and allowed us to grow our team. We've grown from just the three of us, Max, Alex, and myself a year ago to almost 30 folks now. So it's been a great success and we love it up here. Wow. Congratulations. You guys are part of the maple syrup mafia. <laughs> Doing our best Cameron. We're trying. 30 people and 30 million users. I think that's a ratio that a lot of us would uh, just dream about. So congratulations on that. Uh, Margaret, I know before Elevest, you were at Goldman Sachs. And before that, you helped a bunch of other startups. I'm curious, it's a kind of a two-part question. One, how do the systems and processes, the operations differ between really big companies and really small companies? I'll ask that one first. Sure. So... You know, surprisingly, if I'm comparing Elevus and Goldman Sachs, um, I don't think there's much of a difference because we're both super highly regulated entities. Um, the difference is really the size of the teams and the amount of teams that you're working with. Um, but I would also say as a function of my role, I've even at Goldman was always in the on the side of creating new process rather than following existing processes and improving them. Um, but yeah, I, I would say... One of the biggest differences between being at Goldman and being in the startup space is really the amount of technology that we're using and um, you know all the different tools that we have. I, I, when I was at Goldman, everything was proprietary. Um, but that might also be a function of time and and you know Slack not being around at that time. and and um, so it's it's hard to kind of separate that for me. Sure. It was funny. We had uh, Don from Slack on two sessions ago, and it's like every business in the world is now uh, a customer of theirs. It's been a, a cool ride for them. So I guess my second question is, you've worked with a lot of startups. If you were consulting or diving in to take over operations for one of the hundreds or thousands of companies that's listening, where do you start? How do you get up to speed on their operations? Or, or you know, how do you tackle that? Yeah, I mean, I would say I would start with a goal. What are they trying to achieve? And then from there, outline what are the biggest risks? What are the biggest obstacles to achieving that goal? And start documenting and operationalizing those. So for example, let's say your goal is to reduce churn and one of your risks is slow customer support. Uh, well, then I would start with really understanding how your team triages tickets, how they support them, how they identify different trends and then um, bubble them up to teams like product or marketing to reduce tickets to um, improve the customer experience. So yeah, I would, I would definitely kind of start high with what you're trying to achieve and then trickle down from there. Got it. So it always starts with the goal and what the business is trying to achieve. And then you look at the problems of why they haven't achieved that. And then you put a plan in place. Very right. block and tackle. Cameron, uh, I want to go back into the 1-800-GOT-JUNK days because you you were there from when there was, what, a dozen employees? Yeah, I was, until the, 14th. 3, I was the 14th. I was the 14th employee. And when I left six and a half years later, we had 3,100 employees system-wide. So then I was the CEO through that. That's amazing. So, so that was a franchise model. And I'm curious, you know, with a franchise, everything is about process. Yeah. And, you know, how do you make sure that the processes you put in place at the franchisor level are followed all the way down by each individual operator? 
we did a few things. Well, it was the third franchise company that I had helped build as well. So I really understood how to actually scale really rapidly growing franchise organizations. The first one was we wanted to turn our company into a cult so that it was a little bit more than a business, a little bit less than a religion. We wanted to be that strong culture. And the more that it was cult-like, people would follow the systems. Second one was really, really thinking about the profit of our franchisees and obsessing about their profitability and showing them how every system was going to make them more profitable. And when they realized that we cared and obsessed about them, they would do it because it wasn't about driving revenue. But sure enough, because they followed the systems that drove revenue. And then the third thing that we did was we really tried to kind of idiot proof the system. So we looked at a franchisee that we had in a market that really wasn't very good. They had a, a ton of snow in the middle of winter. He was one of our earliest, earliest franchisees. And we used to say that if we could Bob proof the system so that Bob could do it in Buffalo in the middle of a Buffalo winter, if he could execute the system and be successful, anybody could. So it was how do we really simplify the systems just to create? And that was across, you know, whether it was recruiting or hiring or training or operations or marketing, whatever. It was simple, simple, simple systems. Josh, I'm curious your perspective going from three people last year to 30 people this year, you know, you are in the thick of it. And a lot of that period of growth for businesses is about creating process for the first time. Small companies tend to be resistant to any sort of process because you're figuring it out as you go. So what's changed, I guess, in the last 12 months? Have you formalized much of how you do things? Yeah, definitely. And just to provide context, so Vancouver has gone from three to 30, but Grammarly itself is about 450 globally. Okay, but got it. When I started three years ago, uh, we were about 80, 90 folks, um, and now we're 450. So that growth has been massive. And to your point in your question, we have seen a ton of that kind of foundational building. Um, and it's really hard when you're moving really fast and understandably focusing on how to run your business and kind of get the job done to want to take the time back and actually document things. But for me, it's really about a mindset shift, right? It's it's not about whether or not you need to, you obviously need to, but you need to look at it as an investment as opposed to a chore, which is what most people do. They go, I don't want to write this down. I know how to do it. And such and such beside me knows how to, and beside them knows how to. And then all of a sudden, if you have 10 more people, how can you guarantee that you're not playing a game of telephone with the processes that are ultimately going to affect your business and your success? And so having that mindset shift and back to what Cameron mentioned earlier, it's like, you do have to have buy-in on that. Like you need to set that expectation from day one. And that starts with onboarding, which is a great place to start documenting, right? Um, yeah. Is How do you onboard? What do the frameworks look like for that? The, the nuts and bolts that make up your processes can change over time, but the overall framework should remain pretty consistent until you reach a certain scale where it requires you to blow it up again. And at least then you're building from a base. Um, so I think that mindset shift was massive for us. We all kind of had that from the beginning. And I think COVID for a lot of businesses has forced that whether or not they wanted to. You have to have things written down. You have to know how things work. Um, and secondly, to kind of back up that mindset shift is also when you think about any time you want to change something or start something new, the first question most people ask is, how do we currently do this? Like, what, what are we changing? Like, what is so that you can then know where you want to take it and what needs to differ between the two. And if you don't have that documented, you're going to be doing it anyway. So it's just inefficient to not try and do that up front. Hey, thanks for listening to Organize Chaos. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review or share it with anyone in your network that you think could use this information. If you want to connect with me personally, please text me 480-531-8411 or connect with me anywhere on social at Chris Ronzio. 
or you can connect with Trainual at Trainual, just like a training manual. See you next time.